Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the professor, Greg Dooley, and the pundit, Steve Clark. Men, take the mic. That's right, it's the Professor and the Pundit with Greg Dooling and Steve Clark, and we're proudly presented by Nick Hopwood, a certified financial planner, founder, and president of Peak Wealth Management, Retire with Confidence. Greg, it's great to have you back on our program and our podcast. Thank you for all the listeners. Please continue to review and share with all your friends, and we have a bunch of new followers on various methods of getting the show. Yeah, I, I want to give a shout-out to new listeners on Spotify and Apple I encourage you to go back, listen to some of the early podcasts from the summer, or just stick with us for the rest of the season, man. It's been quite a ride. So thank you, new listeners. Hey, looking over the summer schedule, Greg, you look at Nebraska and Minnesota, and you might see them as trap games. You might see them as sneaky games. You might see them as sneaky trap games. But it ends up that they don't even look like they should be on the same field with the Wolverines. Michigan beating the Gophers 52-10 to a week after humiliating Nebraska. Complete beatdown, complete stomp. It seems like we're a dealer with a bunch of cards, and to beat us, you have to have a, quite a few things that go wrong. We have to make big mistakes, and we don't do it. We don't even take penalties. It's remarkable. The chances that Indiana and Purdue have, like next to nil at this point, which is great to see. We've been pretty healthy for the most part, right? And just love to see it. And I got to say, like this game in particular – it holds a special meaning, as many listeners know, around the brown jug and my involvement with it. And so, it, honestly, it couldn't get more comfortable. I, I was just nervous about it. It's become personal for me, I'll just say. And to have a pick six on the second play of the game, right, it, it's, it was wonderful. It was the second straight game where Michigan on defense on the second play comes away with the turnover. Yes, Will Johnson coming back to make that pick six to start things off, but also the second play on defense against Nebraska was the tip pass that uh, Kenneth Grant came up with the interception, and then Michigan immediately scored on that. So Michigan starting out strong in these last two conference games. There was hardly any tension at all, and the offensive statistics weren't necessarily anything that was wow, but it was complete, and it was total, Greg. No, it, it reminds me, we, we have a really good football team in our town at Saline, right? And most of the games that we watch, they have a high school rule in Michigan where they run the clock if the score is a certain amount. And both of these games, they would have run the clock in the third quarter. But also, did you see like every 10 minutes or so, another Minnesota player got injured? I mean, it was getting bad. Yeah, one of the best players on their team didn't even get to uh, start and play the game. Darius Taylor, he's played in three games. He's played a fourth, but he only got one carry. But the three major games that he has played where he carried the ball, he was named the Big Ten Freshman Player of the Week. Greg, through three games, plus one carry in game number four, he still leads the Big Ten in rushing. Through this week. Yes, like. <laughs> through this week. The games that we've just played. So, okay. He still leads the Big Ten in rushing. He's a freshman out of Wald Lake Western, just yeah. outside of Detroit. Michigan was certainly in on recruiting him, but Cole Cabana out of Dexter was recruited, rated higher. You know, Darius Taylor certainly wanted to play against the Wolverines in this one, but he banged up his knee a couple of weeks ago. He missed the Louisiana game. 
I don't think it would have made a tremendous difference. Well, that, that's where one. I was going, Steve. Were you trying to tell me that that this would have no, made a I, difference? No, I was just going along with you when you saying that Minnesota players were certainly banged up as the game went along. <laughs> okay. And it started off with the best player on offense didn't even get to, to, to pad him up. And you sent me an article that P.J. Fleck met with a bunch of the big donors at Minnesota. And he's like, look, if we don't get NIL going... We're going to lose more people. We're going to be a triple-A program, is what he said. And one of the things he was talking about was kind of like this guy. He didn't use him by name in the sentence, but he was implying that a guy like Darius Taylor is going to leave for a powerful, successful program if we don't get our NIL blank together. Right. His resume is going to be fantastic. Even if it just stops and doesn't even go any further than this year, like say he's injured for out for the entire year, he could probably put his name out there in the portal and go where he wants to and, and doesn't have to sit out. You know, he could do the transfer rule one time only and not sit out. Speaking of, and I think they showed him, by the way, on the telecast more than they showed PJ Fleck in his sweatsuit, but Mason Graham, can we talk about him sure. for a second? What was going on here? Whirling dervish, just man child like these poor guys like it was like jefferson from fast times at richmond high right i mean yeah it was bad like jefferson graham jefferson graham the announcer like they kept calling him and i know he had the they called a club right he had one of his hands uh, bundled up it didn't stop him at all no it was nuts. And he, he is Superman. One guy got into a sack. The defensive lineman led the team in tackles in this game. That doesn't happen very often. No, he's fantastic. And I've gotten a look at this young man up close. And again, he, like, if you look at Colson Loveland, he is what you think he looks like. He looks like the Sparty statue, right? He's just chiseled and he's tall <laughs> and he's big. Mason just looks like someone's, like, the big cousin, you know, at Thanksgiving who, like, ate half the pie. You know, he just, he just looks like, have you played football before? You're a big kid. He, he just doesn't look like all these guys coming out of Schembechler Hall. He is a beast. He looked so, like an all-Big Ten performer. Oh, it was ridiculous. But also, they've taken on this term we fence, and frankly, the offense is a we offense. There's a ton of guys contributing, a ton of guys scoring, and and so it's 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 fun to watch. Well, the deep, Let's enjoy it, right? The two defensive pick sixes by Will Johnson and Keon Sam. The first to do it at Michigan, it hasn't actually been that long. 2017 against Cincinnati, where Tyree uh, Cannell and Lavert Hill uh, scoring against the Bearcats that time. Michigan only allowed Minnesota to pass for 52 yards. Doing my research on Minnesota, going into the season, this looked like the team's strength was actually going to be their passing game and not their traditional run game that they have a reputation for. And as the season went along, we found out the quarterback, Athan Kaliaknanis, isn't really ready for primetime as a quarterback. And they needed to take some of the pressure off him and go back to the run game, and it was working well for them. But the question is, Michigan isn't allowing anybody to run on them, so they were going to have to ask Kaliak Manis to throw the ball downfield or continue to run against the brick wall. What will Minnesota choose? And I think initially you saw what happened. They passed on second down on an out, and Will Johnson returned it for a pick six. They got the halftime pass for their only touchdown, throwing up deep, but that was also a mistake by one of the Michigan defenders in, in, in a missed assignment and not coverage. You know, it didn't matter what Minnesota was going to do. They were just going to be embarrassed, and that's exactly what happened to them. Yeah, and we talk about key moments, obviously the early pick six, but I think that touchdown pass, yeah, they got behind our defender a little bit, but we closed it. It still had to be a perfect pass, Steve. And to me, I was like, 
they have to almost be perfect to, to drop us, and it's going to be so hard. I, I just I felt really good, actually, after that touchdown pass. I was like, they can't do that. They're not going to do that again. So it was great. Can we nitpick a little bit? Jeez, we, we if are, we have to. Well, we are Michigan fans. <laughs> oh, okay. So I do the, you know, I do the mood rating, and everyone's yeah. like, there's like ten percent of the, maybe maybe more, are like still haven't played anybody, you know. Oh, you know? oh no, no, <laughs> yeah. that's that's not just Michigan. That is everybody. Yeah. I mean, the, the way people look at Michigan right now is the way we looked at like a Virginia Tech when they were an FCS team or a Division One AA, where it's just like, come on, they're not playing anybody. They play one big team, and we're supposed to have them ranked in the top 10. Oh, a national championship contender because they're undefeated. And everybody just, you know, thumbs down on that. And I think what's happening is you can't ignore what Michigan is doing any longer. So it goes out there, and then, of course, the naysayers, which are all over the country, just want to say, look who they played. Look yeah. who they played. And... It is true. They haven't played anybody in the top 50 yet. But every coach that's played against them so far has basically said, this is the best team we've ever played. Yeah. Ever in my coaching career. And that's what P.J. Fleck had to say on Saturday. So if you're a Michigan fan and you want to nitpick, you probably start there. And again, the great John U. Bacon says, oh, Michigan fans, we're, we're just born to complain. Okay, so let's nitpick. Tommy Doman's kickoff out of bounds. I don't know how that happened. He got an earful from Harbaugh. It looks like on the sideline. We had a couple drop passes, including that first drive on third down. Cornelius Johnson right in his hands. Still would like to see more out of Donovan Edwards, but obviously the bright side of that, I think Mullings is looking really good. Mullings had eight carries, and four of those moved the chains. So that takes a little bit of the load and the pressure off Blake Corum to like, oh, certain short, we got to put Blake Corum in every single time because he's the only guy who could possibly get us a first down. Not true. So congratulations yeah. to Kalel on that. He's shifty, man. For his size, he 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 really cuts sharply. He's I like him. Do you want to talk about Donovan a little bit? I he seems like such a strider, and it's almost like we have to find better ways to get him in more space. He's he's so quick. He gets into the hole very quickly, but it's almost like we need to loosen him up a little bit and get him on the outside. And maybe put him in the slot. But then of course I think he dropped a pass too. Uh, but he's supposed to be such a good receiver. What are your thoughts? Well, he led the team in receiving yesterday with the number of catches. He had four for 25 yards. Running-wise, he was four for 20. He's contributing. But I think what Donovan Edwards likes to do is he likes to break it and sometimes get your six or seven yards and, and be happy as opposed to, I think I can get 30 okay. yeah. here and I end up getting two. He wants that sweet nectar from the Ohio State game again, well, which is epic. Well, it's, um, it's a drug, is yeah. it not, to get, yeah. to get two back-to-back touchdown runs? Now, if you told me, though, because he hasn't gotten the end zone yet, correct? Don't believe so. So if you told me at this point in the season that he has not been in the end zone, I think we'd both be really surprised and, and not injured, right? I mean, it doesn't look like he's injured. So, Steve, you were in a lovely special location for this game. Is that right? <laughs> I know this because I heard you on the pregame show. Yeah, it's the annual WTKA getaway retreat at the Grand Travis Resort and Spa. Been there several times now. It is a beautiful place to go. It is beautiful property. Traverse City in the area is great. And we're not paid to say that. No, no, I just, <laughs> it's fantastic. My wife and I have gone up the, together the last few years. She wanted to go into wine country, so we've certainly spent a good time doing that. Also, she hooked me up with a beer place called Hop-A-Lot. 
Hopalot. Again, like our not, sponsor, Nick Hopwood. <laughs> you would say we need be to, natural. Maybe we can do a remote from Hopalot. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood. With Nick and some of his clients or our, our prospective uh, listeners who would like to be customers. I'm it, pitching this to Nick right now. Yeah, it was, it was an outdoor brewery with a huge fireplace. Oh, my gosh. Cornhole, bocce. Oh, the food? Barbecue. I had the brisket. It wasn't the sliced, dried brisket. It was moist, meaty, chunky brisket. Some of it pure meat, some of it a little fatty. I think there's a lot of people that prefer the mixture of both, like I do. I do, yeah. For the kids, for the kids, the biggest sandbox that I've ever seen that was at least 40 yards long and about 20 to 30 yards wide. With no cats in the area. No. Good. Just, just, Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Look, look what I found out. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Holds, holds up his hand. Well, this, um, this place sounds like Nirvana. The thing is, it was full on the middle of a Friday afternoon at 2 o'clock. That's awesome. Also, apparently, Madonna's parents have a winery. Chaconi. Yes, that's her given name. Right. Last name. The yeah. parents own this winery that we went to. And we had to go get a bottle of it because the cab was fantastic. Now, are they playing up the fact that they're Madonna's parents? I would not see it as a shrine to anyone. Okay. But in the room, there is a picture with her and dad. Okay. And that's essentially it. Okay. So it's not like a Vegas style where everything is here. Hey, we got ticket stubs. We got, you know, vinyl album covers and CD jackets or anything like that. No. Not at all. Wow. That's kind of cool. How is the wine? We had to go get a bottle of it. Awesome. There's Michigan fans that actually come up for the trip to be a part of the of the weekend that were there. There's a number of places you go inside the building and, and hang out and have fun before we watch the game. It's a retreat, and it's, it's awesome. great. It's great to connect. You've been up there. Yeah, absolutely. I actually did part of my honeymoon up there and loved it. We had a great time, and I was up north this weekend as well. We have a place on the other side of the state. I actually mapped it, Steve. I was a couple hours away. I could have fucked over, thought about maybe coming over for the pregame show and watching the game with you guys, but I was having too much fun uh, where I was. So, I understand. Yeah. So what else? You saw Joe Simon there. It looked like he was rocking. I know, I know this because I tweeted it, rocking a professor in the pundit shirt, which must have had the men and ladies going crazy. Uh, they did. He was commanding an audience, and, and it was just, you know, it was a dream of mine to see my face, your face, but my face in particular, on a shirt that other people are wearing while performing a show. Get used to it, because this, <laughs> this podcast is blowing up, and as someone who gets to watch games with you often, and people like Sam Webb and Ira... It's a different experience. It's a fun experience because, frankly, there's a different level of discourse that goes on during the game because of the insights that Sam and Ira have and you. And part of the fun was being there and just getting insight from Sam on kind of what was going on with Michigan football, which is a special experience as a true Michigan insider. Speaking of insight, Steve, did you hear the clip from the coaches' show last week going up, heading into the Minnesota game? With John Jansen and Coach Harbaugh. Did I hear it? It nearly went viral. <laughs> Here we go. Um, how much have you talked to guys uh, about the little brown jug? Oh yeah, you've been you've been to our TTGs. We had a we uh-huh. had a, we had a great uh, uh, forget the professor's name who came in and uh, uh, messed that up, but uh, came in and gave a wonderful presentation on the the history of the brown jug, you know everything about it, where it was made, how you know that Yost and the and the fellas left the uh, left the water jug there, and 
and uh, Minnesota kept it. And and when we asked for it back, they said you could come play for it, and whoever wins gets to gets to keep the jug. And you know the proof that it is the it is the original jug. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been some controversy there, but uh, that 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 seems to be proven. So coach doesn't know my name, doesn't know who I am. Am I am I bent out of shape out about? Is this upsetting to me, Steve? He forgot my name. Is that a big deal? Did I think Jim and I were going to be friends? Like I'd call the house, <laughs> you know, I'd call the house and, you know, Sarah would pick up and, and tell, it starts. T- tell, tell him it's me. No, I, I, I didn't like, like Ed Grimley and Pat Sajak. What if we became best friends? Best friends in the world. So I would just like phone his house up and say, is Pat there? Just tell him it's me. Oh, spin, spin, spin wheel, spin. <laughs> I didn't have this vision that we'd be best friends. And I don't care. And plus, <laughs> Harbaugh knows a lot of people. However, continue the clip. Was that Greg Dooley? It was Greg Dooley. Yes. You are the man. You, what, a, what a Michigan <laughs> man you are. Greg well, Dooley. I've, he I've, was fantastic. It's fantastic. He, he is. Slideshow, presentation. Really good speaker. I mean, yeah. you folks with the great the great speaking voices and the, <laughs> the articulation. It's, uh, he, he was tremendous. Very, very, very educational. It's John Jansen, of course, is the other guy in the clip. He saved you. He knew it was me, and he was trying to write my name on a piece of paper. Say my name. (laughs) Right. Say my name. (laughs) For Coach Arbaugh. And then cut in and said, hey, it's Dooley, and told me that. So it was fun. And I'll tell you, I must say, obviously, it was cool to hear that I made an impression not only on Coach Harbaugh, but apparently the team, which was nice. But also, to get praise from Harbaugh as a speaker, I got to say, it's high praise. Okay, say what you want about Jim, but he hears a lot of people speak to the team and a lot of people speak. And for him to, to give that kind of praise for my speaking ability and the fact that really what I try to do with history in my class is I try to make it fun and interesting. And through pictures, through almost like giving a documentary, and that that resonated with him in particular means a lot to me. It does. It was cool. That, that particular aspect of it. I think it's a cool presentation. You don't need to tell me that. But the fact that it came off made a good impression on Harbaugh means a lot. So, no, and no, I don't, I don't think we're going to be friends after this, unfortunately, Steve. Maybe. <laughs> so that was fun. One of the things I did, though, at that session was I did take particular care to tell the team, which I always do, to hold the jug with two hands. No joke. I have, I have slides. I have pictures. I say, don't do this. Hold it with two hands. And I said, particularly the captains, and if you remember, I knew in that meeting that Mikey Sanistro was going was gonna to be one of the captains. And, and I called him out particularly, and I said, hey, hold it with two hands. And I was happy to see after the game. I was waiting, and I saw him walking around with the jug and taking very, very good care. He held it above his head with two hands, and I was like, yeah, okay. It's a fragile, fragile thing. So I love that he did that. Speaking of Harbaugh, though, did you see Coach getting in the turnover photo where a lot yes. of coaches and assistants, but but players, right? But it's usually like the support staff and, you know what I mean, and some of the uh, uh, strength and conditioning people and the managers might get in there. Harbaugh himself got a piece of it. What did you think about that? I think it's going to be ripe with criticism from the wrong people, and I really don't care. Take the picture. Be in the picture. <laughs> just fine. Go ahead and have a whole group thing. Some people thought it was probably rude, condescending, a little too much. It's that this is college football. Everybody just doesn't care about politeness or anymore or how things are. Just go be you. When the opportunity arises for some other team to do some other thing, they're going to do it. 
planting your flag in the middle of the big O at Ohio Stadium, go ahead, do it. Somebody's going to plant a flag in the middle of the block M someday. Are we going to get bent out of shape about it? Not anymore. This is just the way it is. Let you be you, he be he, let it roll off your back. Part of my hope is that he didn't even know that they do that after every turnover. Like, he's so oblivious to it because he's Harbaugh. Like, he's thinking about other things. And he just looked over and he saw, oh, they're taking a picture. You know, he just ran over and, and got in it. I thought it was great. Maybe he's a head coach trying to count to 11. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Like some other school oh three hours down the road. Oh, boy. Uh, and then did you hear in the post game that he called J.J. a dog? but then added something on to the end of it. Oh, the acronym? Yes. Making up acronyms where no one needed one, no one wanted one, (laughs) unsolicited, and shared it with everyone. But that is the business of coaching these days. (laughs) We have an acronym for everybody. Okay, DOG is not an acronym. Apparently it is now Disciplined Athlete with Grit, he says. He tells the world. Okay, all right. D-A-W-G. You got it. Is he a dog for life? D A W G. Gosh, winning makes everything fun, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, it does. <laughs> it makes shows go faster. <laughs> this makes podcast it a lot more entertaining. Yes. So yes, what is winning this? is great. Speaking of winning, now how many Big Ten wins in a row is this? And that, 18th straight win. That includes the Big Ten championships. Or yeah, champ- I would yeah. think so. Okay. One, wow. And and that is one shy of the program record. Amazing. Said in 1990 to 1992. So they are one win away. Indiana's for the time. Michigan State is for the new record. I'm trying to reconcile that with 1901 to 1905. But what probably happened is we didn't play enough conference opponents because the Big Ten was only nine teams and we didn't play like we did today. So, all right. One piece of business is painting the jug. Michigan needs to decide where to paint new scores on the jug because we're out of room on this little new five a decade ago we put a space for five scores above the michigan m what are we going to do i put it on twitter i actually got some interesting suggestions this time and, and i love some of them are like just retire this jug no no we're not doing that okay so a couple people today as we're recording this suggested we'll make the block m smaller <laughs> okay it's like no i don't think we're going to do that i think um, you make the Minnesota M smaller. Yeah, Michigan. Because Michigan's make... won 75% of them. Yeah, maybe just get rid of it altogether and just, just put a big column on the other side for new scores. Great. I think they should just repaint the scoring panels and just make it smaller. Okay. And, and, and I, I you think you can that, have some room. So I agree with you. So someone, I've never heard this. Someone goes, paint scores in the bottom. Great point. The bottom is wide open and it's pretty big. I mean, you could do a good 10 scores in the bottom. Sure and remember, five scores isn't five years. Five scores is probably a dozen years now with the new, especially now in the new Big Ten. Now I know we play again next year. And barring Minnesota getting really good and Michigan staying really good where we might meet in the postseason, yeah, it's five new scores. If they do that again, put that above, that's that's going to last until the 2030s. So. The Big Ten is trying to make Michigan and Minnesota play twice every five years. Yeah. So four games every 10. There you go. I will be sure to update once I hear what they're going to do with the jug and, and all that. For me, it's really all about this trophy, this jug, the history. It's so important to me. 
was on a few different radio shows this week, including MGO Radio, a Spartan Sirius XM channel Steve had me on to talk about the jug. I don't know how they found me. I'm sure and they so, talked to Harbaugh, who said your name immediately. Well, yeah. Well, Jim. <laughs> but it's always a fun week for me and a fun week to talk to people and meet new fans, really. We'll see if, you're, if, I, if I'm invited back next year after talking about it so much. So probably not, but at least I had it. It's halftime here on The Professor and the Pundit with Greg Dooling and Steve Clark. And now joining us in studio to talk a little bit about football and investing is Nick Hopwood, who's a certified financial planner for Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. Nick, one of these days, Michigan may have to come from behind and go into the hurry-up offense. And that also kind of reminds me of something that I learned a few years ago, that once you get to a certain age, you can actually donate more to your 401k and self-IRAs. It's called the catch-up program after the age of 50. That's right. The catch-up contribution for this year, for 23, the amount is 30 grand if you're over age 50 into your 401. So it's meaningful. It's like an extra 7,500. Like in 2003 at Minnesota, right? Lloyd calls the hurry up offense in the third quarter, right? That's the only way you can come back. You got to take advantage of the catch up. So does that apply to the HSA too? Do they have a, a catch up? They do. It's only a thousand extra, but but they do have that. It's righteous bucks. And we are in the fourth quarter of 2023. So if you want to get a hold of Nick and ask him many questions, or you just want to ask for a couple of ideas, go to peakwm.com. That's peakwm.com. All right. Now, Steve, how much of the Buckeyes did you get to watch? Because I think you were doing the pregame show, but I assume you had it on. I did. It made me started to think about what it could potentially mean if Maryland pulls off the upset. Would this help Michigan? Would this hurt Michigan? I went through all these scenarios as a possible thing that could actually happen. And then Talia Tungavailola threw an interception that was returned for six. And then, but it became Ohio State's game midway through the second half. It did. So I was able to watch it with the call. And at halftime, Urban Meyer was as livid as you can get and try to maintain an air of neutrality. He actually called Ohio State we and then quickly corrected himself. And someone challenged him on the toughness and he wouldn't say it. His eyes darted away he was upset and he's like, look, if we, if we don't fix this line, we're going to lose this game. So he was pretty, it was interesting. There it, was a long look across the sideline with yeah. snarling at the whole idea. He was seething during, I mean, I said, this is going to be a great new Michigan meme and I'm sure it's going to be used. And he's been talking trash on Michigan lately. And of course it's been real easy for Michigan to talk trash on Ryan day his play calling and the results of the play calling still show that they are a finesse team and not a team that is tough, physical, that it's going to get you the yards. I'm not doubting that Ohio State thinks they're tough. I'm not doubting that Ohio State thinks they're physical and are physical in a way. But if you're going to play against the best teams who are described as physical, they're not winning them. Yeah, and so what the narrative was is that Ryan Day's goofy rant after the Notre Dame game played well to his base. That's like a yes. political line, right? Yes. Okay. There were boos in this stadium at the way Ohio was playing. And the fact that, so let's just assume there was a fiery halftime speech. Maryland came right down the field and like shoved it down their throat and scored to go up. I wonder if the base is cracking on this. Yeah, they, they can, they have to see what's happening here. Here's the thing. You look down the schedule at this Ohio State game, Steve. If nothing changes, if we don't beat them 
Like, it's going to be disappointing if we don't win that game. Oh, I think it was going to be disappointing no matter what, because I think most of the Michigan fan base feels they were going to win this game anyway. And a wounded Ohio State team, if you don't beat them there, would even be more disappointing. I understand that point of it as well. But Ohio State is looking like maybe the third best team in the Big Ten, and we cannot count out about how good Maryland is rising. No, they look great. You know, two years ago, Michigan went into Maryland and beat them 58 to 19 or 59 to 18. I think they're playing much better. The trench play at Maryland on the offensive line and defensive line is better. Tully is the second best quarterback in the Big Ten. Roman Hemby, a running back. You know, you can't take for granted Michigan going into College Park. I don't. In this one at all. No, I don't. And they, they did look really good. The refs did not help. So. There were a bunch of calls, man. It was home cooking. And they called a sideline penalty on Ryan Day. And I wonder if it was like a makeup call to go, no, no, we're calling it fair. They didn't get any help from them. And they also shot themselves in the foot. I mean, several times. Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator, I don't know if it was the quarterback, but they just made some really, really dumb plays that would have helped them. But they seemed like the better team for most of the game. I am not cutting Ohio State's chances of winning off the Big Ten. From where I'm not. It's been. No, I mean, I'm it's not. still you, you. The ebb and flows of week to week can vary drastically, uh, but Ohio State's playing Penn State fairly soon. You know, the weekend that Michigan is playing at Michigan State. Yeah, we like to watch Ohio State lose, but frankly, as it's sitting right now, we'd like Ohio State to beat Penn State. Do you agree? Yeah, probably. I think. Well, why? Michigan... Why would you like Penn State to beat Ohio State? Other than you um, don't like Ohio. I, I think it just, well, there, there's that reason in itself. But there's also the belief that Michigan can go in there and beat Penn State. And if Ohio State's kind of somewhat taken care of, um, you know, Michigan can go on the road and beat Penn State. I don't particularly feel that way. But there's some that says, like, the less competition, the better. Yeah. Okay. So here's the question. What are the chances that Ohio, Michigan, or Penn State lose to someone other than themselves for the rest of the year? So for Michigan, it's Maryland. For Penn State, it's Maryland. Okay. And that is it. Because, you know, Ohio State has to play Wisconsin, but I really don't think Wisconsin is even at Maryland's level. And normally we would throw Michigan State into this question, but with Because these of teams, everything that's going on, yeah, no. it's tough. Okay. Interesting, man. Uh, what else? Uh, around the Big Ten, your Hawkeyes or, or Mrs., mine. Mrs. Pundit's yeah. beloved, <laughs> beloved Hawkeyes Pulled out another thriller, a wild shootout with <laughs> Steve Jacobs. So, so Kate McNamara's got one of the worst offensive ratings in, in the Big Ten. Yards, efficiency, all of that. He's out for the year. I mean, you can make an argument that, okay, so his backup can't be that much worse. Yeah, he can be. He was, he was really bad. I think at one point he was one of nine for 13 yards and an interception, which means he's thrown two completions, one to his own team and one to the other team. Kirk Ferentz's career at Iowa, I think it started in 1999. This is the first time that one of his quarterbacks did not throw a completion to a receiver. Unreal. Iowa threw five completions for the game, four of them to the tight end, one to the running back, and of course, the Hawkeyes still won because that's Iowa the past few years. They could have these unbelievably unmatched statistics on the bad side and still find a way to win which is what they did. Former Wolverine Eric All has kind of stepped up as the go-to player on this Iowa offense. So you wonder, like, everything seems to be steering toward more player rights with NIL, the transfer portal. Everyone kind of agrees that revenue sharing is coming. When are we going to have the day when you're going to have an instant in-season transfer where someone like Jay Tuttle 
can go and go, gosh, I could be starting right now in Iowa. The more they show that education doesn't matter. I have asked that question a couple of years ago to the guys at TKA. He says, you know, at some point, we're going to have an instant transfer, and he can play immediately in season. And they laughed same, at the, same game. Yeah, same game. <laughs> I'm going to come out with a different jersey at halftime. No, I, I kind of jokingly asked that, but somewhat seriously, and was laughed off. And, I, and we moved on to a different topic. You're the third quarterback at Michigan. You've got a year of. I mean, I'm I'm looking at Tuttle. Like he was starter at Indiana. If he knew he would have been had a chance to start at Iowa, I wonder if he'd be at Iowa right now. I'm glad he's here. Deacon Hill can barely throw a spiral. Okay. I mean, his 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 ball wobbles up and down, and it's just it's it's bad. All right. So the other big news this week was the big schedule announcement of the Big Ten. Yeah. Uh, kind of revising their approach that they announced earlier to accommodate Oregon and Washington in this kind of protecting a few rivalries, trying to make sure everyone visits everyone and plays everyone right. And again, it was widely viewed very favorably by national exactly. media. Yeah, what, what do you see here, Steve? So now, now they've done the same thing, but added Washington and Oregon, and the results are pretty much the same. And my biggest thing that I want to know about is their schedule equity, because with all the teams that are really, really good and television driving to have the good teams play the good teams, can you run into a scenario where a team that isn't as prestigious in terms of getting ratings or rankings, can they just kind of slide through playing other teams of similar ilk and find themselves undefeated with one loss and find themselves in the top two and playing for the championship? Well, I wanted to look at this, and so I did. To the 2024 schedule, I didn't look at the others, but I'm going to assume the rest are the same because I did it with the summer conference schedule, so it was pretty fair. You had a little process scoring system. In fact, I think we posted the details. Yeah, so look, Michigan is going to be playing Texas, out of conference, USC, Oregon, and Michigan State at home, while they'll have Ohio State and Washington on the road. That is an absolutely brutal schedule. Not every team is going to have Texas, but that's what Michigan decided to do as part of their non-conference schedule. It's still a nine-game schedule, like it always has been. Michigan will play Ohio State and Michigan State each year through 2028, and the rest of what's soon to be the end of the Eastern Division – will get their five home games in 2024 as expected if the division play were to continue on. The 2022 playoff committee, Greg, had five teams ranked in the top 12. The NCAA football is going to go to a 12-team playoff. So what did the committee decide were the top 12 teams in 2022? Well, they consist of five current and future Big Ten members. Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, USC, and Washington snuck in there as the 12th spot, plus the committee ranked Oregon 16th and UCLA 18th. Those are seven schools, five of them making the top 12 and two of them on the cusp. And when I looked at the teams, the ones that I was most concerned about, of those power five and those seven, I actually took a look at at all seven of those, how do the schedules match up with one another? And I saw that most of the time, each and every one of those teams are going to play three games against that initial top 12 and have one visit out west to either one of those four venues. Okay. All right? I think the only team, Greg, that had as a slight advantage was Ohio State and Michigan State getting a small break and that they only have to play two games from the top 12, but both of them have a western road trip at Outson Stadium in Eugene, Oregon. Okay. 
So there's not a scenario where Purdue doesn't play any of these teams and kind of weasels through with Wisconsin, Indiana, Northwestern to fill out their schedule. When I started looking at everything, you're either playing two teams against the top 12 or three teams against the top 12, and every team in the eastern or central time zones got to make a trip out west. Okay. I mean, that's about as fair as you can get. So I don't see Northwestern having a schedule of Rutgers, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Purdue. Okay, good. That's good. Yeah, I mean, we knew Michigan wasn't going to get a break in this scenario. I mean, we knew that was going to happen. But what you're telling me is it's not so bad um, across the Big Ten. Good. No, and I'm going to assume it's going to be that way in 2025, too. I mean, if somebody's getting a break in one year, they're probably not getting a break in the following year. Okay. All right. Look forward to it. And I assume at this point, Steve, you think Texas will stay on the schedule for next year at this point? I don't know. Okay. I mean, that would be my pure speculation about not knowing for sure. But there have been cancellations that have happened later than this. Okay. It would be really surprising to me just logistically. But it, it, you know what I mean? For the people that have made plans and things like that. Mm -hmm. I hope we do play them. I think it'd be cool. I mean, I was thinking that as I was watching the the Texas-Oklahoma game, which was if not the best game of the year, one of them. It was yeah, fantastic. No, it was great. And the loss didn't actually eliminate Texas out of the playoff consideration because Oklahoma scoring with 15 seconds left in the game to win. But the Red River rivalry has had some great games lately. In 2020, an unranked Oklahoma team beat Texas in four overtimes. In 2021, Texas led by 21 after the first quarter and everybody changed the channel. But former Oklahoma quarterback Caleb Williams came off the bench. He's at USC now, (laughs) the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. He comes off the bench for Oklahoma, and they score 25 points in the fourth quarter to beat Texas 55-48. to Now you have this game that went back and forth. There was the blocked punt. There was going for it on four downs inside the one, and Oklahoma held, and there were other big plays throughout the entire game. Very, very entertaining. No, it was. And there, I, I thought Texas had won it with a field goal that was just so clutch, and the guy was going to be a hero in Texas. And, of course, in a matter of minutes, that, he's wiped out. No, because <laughs> there was one seventeen left yeah. in a Big 12 game. Yeah, right? Right. That's the thing you have to learn. Right. It was basically that, a quarter. <laughs> yeah, when there's one seventeen left in a Big 12 game or a Pac-12 game, that is way too much time for the opponent to come back and, and equalize or, or retake the lead. Okay, well, there was one team that there was time on the clock and the game should have been over. And, of course, we're talking about Miami. And I'm sure when this comes out, there will have been tons of people talking about this, but... All they had to do was kneel on it. It's third okay. down with 33 seconds left in the game. No timeouts for Georgia Tech. The game is over. Snap the ball, go down, and you don't have to snap again. So that's what victory formation is all <laughs> yeah. about. All yeah, they had to do right. was, was get victory formation and kneel down. And I said, what happened? Uh, the guy fumbled, but he got ripped out of his hand, is what it is with Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech went out to beat Miami. I mean... They have went, you seen they, anything like it? They went 75 yards in 25 seconds. And have I seen anything like it? There's that one game where Michigan played against Northwestern, and Anthony Thomas got the first down. I was there. And he went for extra yeah. yards. It's not like he was busting tackles and being very loose with the ball or anything like that. But if he did get tackled past the first down marker, Michigan would have been in kneel-down position for four downs and would have won the game. It wasn't a coaching error. 
it wasn't Anthony Thomas's mental mistake. It's just as close as they could have come to winning. Happened uh, right in front of me. Yeah. Yeah, Northwestern. Yeah. You, you were there. I was there. Yeah, and right in front of me, you know, if you've been to Northwestern, it's like... <laughs> Everything's in front yeah, of Yeah, everything's right in front of you, but <laughs> literally, like, right in front of me. Yeah. So, brutal. Sorry I have to bring the Michigan that's moment, brutal. but those are the games I've watched the most. Man. All right. So... But that's got to be the worst. Worst. really bad. You could have kneeled down, chose not to, and you ended up losing the game. Will it cost them a berth in the ACC? It might. What it will cost is is Miami's coach reputation. Like I don't think he's going to be fine or anything like that. But you don't live that down. That's really bad. Yeah. That's lack of institutional control of a, of a sideline, <laughs> right? It is yeah. of a sideline. So, all right, we got the Hoosiers, my beloved Hoosiers yes. coming up. Why are they my beloved? Well, I spent two years in, at Indiana getting my MBA. And in their business school, and I lived there for two. So this wasn't like a you know an online course. I was there. It's this really cool town. I considered living there, like after graduation, like making my life in Bloomington. I just I really love the town. It's a unique culture. It's obviously very basketball centered. And I, I always say I, I just remarked how you could kind of just drive up to the stadium like 45 minutes before the game and park or just hang out. Like, yeah, there were people there that tailgated. And yeah, there's people having fun, but it is not like this. And Indiana is just a a different place. I'll put it that way. I remember like before not having helmet laws was cool. Like Indiana was like one, you used to see these guys on motorcycles just driving around with no helmet. They only recently accepted like daylight savings time. So we were always on standard time. So it was always confusing living in Michigan, I always had to have this conversation like, man, you know, we don't switch the clocks here. <laughs> so so it's actually, you know, it, we're an hour different, you know, this part of the year, but then, you know, we'll catch up later. They never went to daylight time is what it is. They always stayed on standard time. It was just bizarre. So anyway, make me worried, Steve. Make me worried uh, about their kicker. Make me worried I, about their punter. I can't. Um, they have a return specialist who I got to keep an eye on. Um, a receiver like Indiana seems to always have I that is just going to, Steve, make me worry. Michigan's first eight games of their schedule, I'm sorry, nine games of their schedule is like playing FCS teams. Okay. This is what it's been. Indiana's best win against Indiana State, the Sycamores, 41-7. to That is their best win. They are 2-3 and three on the year. Their worst loss at Maryland, 44-17. to the best was a win, but could have been a loss. Akron, IU needed four overtimes and could have lost to Akron in regulation, but the Zips missed a 32-yard field goal as time expired. 32. An extra point is 20. What was the game that was a loss but was close to a win? Louisville. Oh. The team that beat Notre Dame. Took it to them. The Hoosiers were trailing Louisville 21 to nothing at half, but then IU got within one yard of tying it up late and forcing it into overtime. But they didn't get that yard when they needed it, and Louisville ended up winning the game by seven. Right after the most recent game against Maryland, again, losers 44 to 17, IU fired their offensive coordinator, Walt Bell. We talked a little bit yeah. about that on the last podcast. Their quarterback is Taven Jackson. He's been the starter. Uh, Jackson is in his first year with the Hoosiers. He had been QB number three at Tennessee behind Hendon Hooker and Joe Milton. And he's also the brother of Hoosier All-American Basketball Center, Trace Jackson Davis. Hmm. He's probably going to be the best quarterback that Michigan will have faced in a while. 
but he's not helping IU really win and could be benched for Brendan Sorsby, who's been playing sporadically for the Hoosiers as well. Jackson is seventh in Big Ten efficiency, but he's only thrown two touchdown passes for the entire season. He's 11th in the conference in yards. Yikes, right? Yeah. They're running back. They got a real dangerous runner. Indiana loves Jalen Lucas. He's got great speed. He can make you miss. And when Indiana's just stalled getting one yard or a tackle for a loss or two yards or not getting anything, Jalen Lucas can burst open, move the chains, and get explosive plays. And Hoosier football fans have been really upset that they haven't been using him more the entire game since he's been on campus. They just He's kind of sporadic. But Lucas this year is leading the team in rushing with just 212 yards and two touchdowns this season. The second leading uh, rusher for Indiana is a former Wolverine. You may remember Christian Turner, who transferred a few years back. I mean, the offensive line, they uh, fired their coach midway through last season and replaced him with Wisconsin's longtime O-line coach, Bob Bolstad. You know, when Wisconsin used to be the big guys up on the offensive line and have routine 300-yard rushing games, the coach from those teams is now coaching the Hoosiers. Uh, They're better, I guess, at run blocking, but pass blocking, they're still pretty horrific. So... Nothing to worry about. So maybe they're running not. back a little bit. If they're, if they're running back, it's in our second level, maybe. That's a guy who can make you miss. But otherwise, there's going to be a play where Michigan probably gives up a big explosive that, that costs them six. Okay. But other than that, I think Michigan's probably going to be living in behind the line of scrimmage like Michigan did at Indiana in the second half. where They had like only 21 yards of total offense or something like that in the second half. All right, man. Well, I am looking forward. We've had a couple weeks off. I'm looking forward to getting back to the big house. It's a noon game, if I'm correct, Steve. So we'll be out there in the morning. It'll be a little crisp, probably, like the fall air. Yes, it will. I don't mind the noon game. Then we can see many other great football games to come after this one is over. And that is going to do it for our podcast this week. Greg, good to see you again. Great to see you. And hey, I am scheduling something with the Dallas Alumni Club, a Zoom session. So if you have an alumni group, that wants to be a part of that. It will be offered to other alumni clubs around the country. But when I get more specifics, I'll mention that on our next show. Very good. But until then, remember Michigan football, back-to-back Big Ten champs and looking for win number three against Ohio State and Michigan State. Go Blue, Greg. Go Blue.